With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm up, lovely low. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great show for you. As in the second segment, we're going to be joined by our good buddy over there at Fangraphs, Dan Zaborski. He also does some work with ESPN. We're going to be chatting with him about if the foreign substance crackdown is going to be affecting the way that he is doing his projections. He does Zips projections over there at Fangraphs, so we're going to be asking about that. We're also going to be asking him about the surprising San Francisco Giants if they have staying power. He's going to be talking about the team that he feels has been really disappointing this year, so we're going to be having that chat in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a side total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday, and a little something I like to call touch them off for things first. Always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast, and you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore D1. Keep in mind the letters EM. Naming does not matter, so I send these into the timeline. Other ways, via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Really, the only questions I've gotten in are with regards to the foreign substance crackdown. I want touching upon this on the podcast the last couple days. If you go back, I would say the last two, three days, 
I've been touching upon it in all the interviews. I wound up touching upon it myself, I believe, on Wednesday. I think that if you wind up going back to 616 on the podcast, I wound up doing a nice little segment on that. So I've been touching upon this quite a bit, so don't you worry. It is something that I'm monitoring, and I'm going to continue to bring it up daily. So have no fear there, but with that said... You don't have to have any fear when it comes to the trends, what we're all noticing in baseball in general, because we're going to recap everything that we want to see in Major League Baseball on Friday, try to get to know these teams a little bit better, and just dive into what we want to see from a very insane day, in my opinion, of baseball. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. You know it's an insane day of baseball when the Baltimore Orioles get a win. 7-1 is a final in this one for the Toronto Blue Jays. They were unable to hit Tom Eshelman. Eshelman winds up getting the start because Bruce Zimmerman gets moved to the injured list. Four two-thirds innings, he gives up one run. That one run was a home run to Lourdes Gurriel, his seventh of the season. Rest of the way team was lights out, and for Robbie Ray, wasn't a bad start here. He gives up two runs, only went four and a third innings, but could have certainly been worse, especially knowing the history of Robbie Reyes going deep off of him. Cedric Mullins, and he would also go deep off of Jeremy Beasley. His 10th and 11th home runs of the season for the Orioles. Bullpen was lights out. How about Tanner Scott, Hunter RV, Paul Fry, all giving you a scoreless setting, and then you were able to get four outs out of Tyler Wells. And for the Blue Jays, that was not the case. Mr. Beasley, he winds up giving up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. You wind up having three runs in four outs given up by Patrick Murphy, and Trent Thornton was able to give you five outs without giving up a run, but for the Blue Jays, a team that has really been firing all cylinders on offense so far this year, they seem to be going a little bit cold as they have now lost five straight games, and for the Orioles... Things were not looking good as they were on a long road losing streak, so a little bit of home cooking is exactly what they needed. The Oakland A's have actually been better on the road than they have been at home this year, and they wind up taking down the New York Yankees by a count of 5-3. The Bronx Bombers, by the way, 17-17 at at home so far this year. Meanwhile, the Oakland A's, they are 19-9 on the road. When it comes to road win percentage, they are now the top team in the league as the Tampa Bay Rays have faltered a little bit on the road recently. And you take a look at the Oakland A's. They were able to get a couple deep flies in this one. Matt Olson off of Jamison Tyon gets his 19th home run of the year. And then Tony Kemp winds up going deep off of Wani Peralta for his third home run of the season. James Caparillion did not necessarily give the start that you had desired. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including a pair of bombs. Rudinando Dor, seventh home run of the season. DJ LeMay, who is fifth, but... The A's bullpen was able to do their part. Lou Trevino was able to give you a scoreless inning along Jake Diekman and Yasmeto Petit was able to give you four outs out of the bullpen. And for the Yankees, Jamison Tyon gives up two runs in four and two-thirds innings. Nothing bad there, but Wandy Peralta, he gives up three runs in one and a third innings. Luis Sessa gives you two scoreless, and Lucas Lutish gives you a scoreless inning as well. But for the Yankees, just didn't necessarily get a bunch of hits. Four hits in total, so they went 0-2 with men in scoring position, so they just didn't have those opportunities in general. The Miami Marlins had a lot of scoring opportunities, and they took full advantage of them. Then to do the final, as they wind up giving the start to... Cody Potit, and he was pretty much a pseudo-opener in this one. Three and two-thirds innings, he gives up two runs, both of which were solo home runs, to Jock Peterson. His 10th and 11th of the season, pass that, the Cubs did absolutely nothing, as the Marlins are able to get two and a third innings scoreless out of Zach Pop. Ross Setweiler gives you five outs out of the bullpen, and then you wind up getting four out of John Curtis with two S's on the back half of it. And for the Chicago Cubs, Zach Davies got destroyed in this one. He gives up eight runs over the course of six innings as he allowed a pair of home runs in this one. He allowed Adam Duvall to go deep for his 13th home run of the season. He would add his 14th off of Dan Winkler later. And John Birdie gets his third home run this season for Winkler. He winds up giving up two runs in an inning. And that's actually bad for the Cubs because entering into this game, they were number one in the league with regards to bullpen ERA over the last 30 days. They still have been able to do a solid job as Brad Wiak was able to give you two scoreless innings before a Chicago Cubs team that entered into this contest 24 
four on ten at home. They just got absolutely dump trucked. Speaking of getting absolutely dump trucked, both pitching stats in this one. The Pittsburgh Pirates win a game over the Cleveland Indians 10-11 as you wind up having John Carlos Mejia give up six runs in five innings. And then from there, boy, this was bad. Kyle Nelson, he entered with a 6.75 ERA. He leaves with a 12.27 ERA. He gives up five runs while getting two outs. Blake Parker from there was able to give you a out out of the bullpen. Phil Mayton, Whitgren were able to give you a scoreless setting in. The Cleveland Indians had a shot in this one because they wound up going 5-13 with men in scoring position, including a grand slam from Cesar Hernandez his 11th of the season. That comes off of Sam Howard, who did not wind up providing a lot of relief. He winds up giving up six runs and two-thirds of an inning for a Pirates bullpen that has actually been halfway respectable. Kyle Crick gives up three runs, two of which were earned in two-thirds of an inning as well. David Bernard, though, he and Clay Holmes were able to come out of the bullpen. They both gave you outs without giving up any runs. Richard Rodriguez was able to get a save, and things got a little bit airy there. And for Chad Cool, actually a really good start. Gives up one run over the course of six innings, and for the Pirates, they are towards the bottom of the league with regards to pretty much all power numbers, but Brian Reynolds gets his 11th home run the season off of Mejia, and Gregory Palunco gets his 7th, so that's big for a Pittsburgh Pirates team that they themselves were reeling quite a bit. I believe that they were on something like a 10-game losing streak entering into this one. Might have been 9, but certainly was not looking good for them. It's not looking good for the Milwaukee Brewers and Coors as you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. They are such a vastly different team home to road. They wind up winning this game by a count of 6 of 5. That was in 10 innings. And for the Colorado Rockies, they have now won 5 straight games overall. If you're looking at just Coors Field, they have been able to win 6 straight. This is for a team that's 5-27 and 27 on the road. And for the Milwaukee Milwaukee Brewers, Colbin Boone's not necessarily the start he was looking for. Gives up four runs in five and two-thirds innings. From there, the bullpen actually did their part. Brian Boxberger gives up a run in an inning, but Trevor Richards, Josh Hader, Brent Suter, they all give you scoreless appearances as Suter gives you two outs. Richards and Hader, a scoreless inning apiece, and then Devin Williams winds up giving up the runner that begins on second base in the 10th inning, so... That was tough in for the Brewers. They go 2 of 12 with men in scoring position. Luis Arias was able to get his eighth home run of the season. That comes off of Antonio Senzatello. He gives up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of six innings. And then from there, the Colorado Rockies bullpen was able to do their part. Lucas Gilbreth, Carlos Estevez, Robert Stevenson, they all give you two outs of pizza out of the bullpen. You wind up having Daniel Bart give up a run in an inning, but Ulysses Chassin, the former Brewer, comes in and he's able to close things out. And for the Rockies, they go 5-13 of 13 with men in scoring position to be able to get the job done in this one. The Washington Nationals and New York Metropolitans wound up playing game at Easter. 1-0, the Nationals were able to get the win. And for the Washington Nationals, this is a team that they've all of a sudden gotten hot. I believe that they have now won five straight games. And for the Metropolitans, they had two hits in this one, and they couldn't do anything else. Joey Lucchese was solid, gives up nothing in five and a third innings. Miguel Castro is able to give you five outs out of the bullpen. Aaron Loop, Seth Lugo, they combined for a scoreless inning, but then Edwin Diaz comes into the game, and he winds up giving up the game-winning hit, being able to drive that in for the Washington Nationals. Jan Gomes, who wound up having a grand slam in the team's previous series with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and for Eric Fetty Wap. He was tremendous in this one. He does give up four walks, but seven innings of scoreless baseball. Kyle Finnegan is able to come in for an inning, and Brad End is able to get a win with a scoreless inning of his own. And for the New York Metropolitans, this is a team that they have certainly not been scoring a lot of runs recently. This is a bunch that they have scored three runs or fewer in now three of their last four games. Although, I will say, give the pitching staff credit. This is now a team that they have allowed three runs or fewer in, I believe, each of their last five games. And if you're taking a look a little bit further in eight out of their last nine. So this is actually a Mets team that is doing a great job with the pitching. A team that is doing a great job with the bats right now. That'd be the Atlanta Braves. They lead the National League with regards to home runs per game. They took it out on the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 9-1. to one. 
Carlos Martinez got destroyed again. Eight runs given up in three innings. He's now rocking a 662 ERA in the Cardinals. They don't have a lot of pitching options, but they should be looking at every one of them. Jake Woodford from there, one of those pitching options, gives up one run in two innings. And Wade LeBlanc at 36 years old, three scoreless innings in relief. Sounds like the St. Louis Cardinals didn't much themselves. They wind up combining for three hits as Max Fried was terrific. Gives up one run, two total hits in seven innings. You then from there have Edgar Santana come in for a scoreless inning, and Jacob Webb was able to do so as well for the Atlanta Braves. Ozzie Albies gets his 10th home run this season. And William Contreras was able to get his 7th as the team goes 5-12 men in scoring position. So the Braves are starting to get things rolling as they have yet to be above 500 so far this year. The Minnesota Twins, who our good buddy Dan Zaborski is going to be talking about in the next segment, they get it done in Texas. 7-5 the final for the Rangers. Things have not necessarily been too good for them and they just wind up being able to get some runs up on the board, but they themselves hurt themselves with an error, and it was Trevor Larnish who wanted being able to get a big hit in this one. Fourth home of the season for the Minnesota Twins. That comes off of Mike Fultonavich, who has not had a good year. Gives up four runs over the course of five innings. From there, Brett Martin, Spencer Patton, along with Jolie Rodriguez, are able to give you scoreless innings out of the bullpen. And then Josh Shorbich gives up three runs, two of which were earned in the 10th inning. You then from there wind up having DeMarcus Evans give you an out out of the bullpen as well. And for the Texas Rangers, Adolius Garcia, who it felt like had not had a home run in seemingly an eon, was able to get his 17th home run of the season. I'm actually going to take a look right now when his last home run had been because it had been for forever. May 17th, so yeah, it had been a month since he had gotten a home run. He was able to belt that one off of Ore Alcala. He came in for relief after Jose Barrios winds up giving up three runs over the course of six innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Alcala gives up that run in an inning. And then from there, you wind up having Taylor Rogers, Ansel Robles, and Ty Duffy all be able to come in with Duffy gives up an unearned run, Robles and Rogers, they don't give up anything whatsoever. So the Minnesota Twins were able to get a road win, and I believe that they are now 3-10 in next running game. So they finally got one of those. The New York Post of the day was the Houston Astros being able to take down the Chicago White Sox. We hit that 2-1 to the final. Carlos Rodon once again was tremendous. Gives up one run over the course of seven innings. Cody Year comes in for a scoreless inning, but Garrett Crochet all of a sudden starting to look mortal. He winds up giving up a run in a third of an inning. He's seen his ERA go from like a point four. To a 1.19, which still very good, but with that said, teams are starting to figure him out a little bit more. And for the Houston Astros, Luis Garcia has an ERA that's hovering right around two at home. Gives up one run over the course of seven innings. From there, Ryan Stanek and Ryan Presley, the two Ryans. Come in relief for a scoreless setting apiece. And for the Houston Astros, currently without Alex Bregman, who's on the injured list. First game in quite a while that they scored fewer than four runs, but they're still able to get the job done. Guess who didn't get the job done? That's right, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who have been absolutely terrible. They have now went 5-36 in their last 41 games. They lose to the LA Dodgers by a count of 3-0. Dodgers put up a 3 spot in the 8th as Trevor Bauer was amazing in this one. I know that a lot of people are making a lot of spin rates and everything like that. Well, it helps when you go up against the Arizona Diamondbacks. 7 scoreless settings. Jimmy Nelson, Kenley Jansen, they both give you a scoreless setting. And for Jansen, 17th save of the year. Buck 50-70. Alright, he has been solid. And then with the LA Dodgers, it was Steven Sosa Jr., who winds up coming up with a big hit. First home run of the year that comes off of Joe Monopoly as for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Caleb Smith has been a halfway decent starter for them and he gave them six scoreless innings, gave up just one hit, did give up four walks, but then from there, Noah Ramirez along Stefan Kicktron, Joaquin Soria, I'll give you a scoreless inning, but for Monopoly, gives up three runs without recording a single out and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, 
0-6 with men in scoring position. This is a team that's just looking pathetic right now. It's pathetic how bad the prices are on the San Francisco Giants as well. I mean, this was right around minus 120 to minus 125. They take down the Philadelphia Phillies, who have been terrible on the road by a count of 5-3. For the San Francisco Giants at 45-25, and 25, they've now got the best record out there in the National League, and for that matter, best record out there in the big leagues. They're now 23-9 and 9 and home. Philadelphia Phillies are now 12-22 and 22 on the road. This price made absolutely no sense. Vince Velasquez got destroyed, and rightfully so. Four runs, three of which were earned, given up over the course of four innings. I will say the long guy... Bailey Falter is actually looking halfway decent. Gives up one run over the course of three innings. He did give up a home run. Connor Brogdon from there, a scoreless inning. Going deep for the San Francisco Giants. Brandon built his 10th home run season. And for Johnny Cueto, another Johnny Cueto-esque performance. Gives up three runs over the course of six innings. That's pretty much what you can expect from him moving forward as you wind up having a pair of home runs give it up as well. Andrew McCutcheon, 12th home run this season. Odubo Herrera's fifth. But for the Giants, Jake McGee was able to get the save. He's been a little bit shaky recently. Looks solid in this one. He, Tyler Rogers, Dominic Leon. I'll give you a scoreless inning as the Giants continue to roll. This was bad if you wound up having the over. Myself and Jeff Parles really like this one. Five runs in the first inning on a total of seven and a half, and it doesn't get there. Five to one, the final. This game dies after the first inning as the Seattle Mariners were able to do an absolutely magnificent job of getting to Michael Walker, who gives up one walk and 11 hits in three and two-thirds innings. And then from there, Andrew Kittrich able to give you four outs out of the bullpen. Call McHugh, three scoreless innings, by the way. Michael Walker gave up all five of those runs. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, they just weren't able to get to Yusei Kikuchi. Kikuchi gives up a run in the first inning, but that was it. Gives up just the one in seven innings. From there, Kendall Graveman, Drew Steckenrider, able to give you a scoreless inning. And for the Seattle Mariners, 7 of 15 with men scoring position as they were able to rack up 13 hits. So the Mariners are now at 36 and 36, despite the fact that they've got a run differential that currently sits at negative 51. I can't remember the last time I've seen this. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Rays, they are now 24 and 14 on the road as they've actually fallen on some tough times. This is a bunch of, they have now lost four straight games, all of which have been on the road. So that has been interesting to watch. And then this game is just going final as I record this podcast, but the San Diego Padres taking it to the Cincinnati Reds. Currently is 8 to 1. You've got one out left to get in the ninth inning as Tony Santillan wound up getting lit up for the Cincinnati Reds in this one. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of three innings for the Reds. They're averaging right around six runs per game home. More like four on the road, and for the Padres, they were able to take full advantage of that as you wind up having Chris Paddock get 11 punch-outs, gives up two runs over the course of five innings. From there, you have Tim Mill, Craig Salmon, Emilio Pagan, Austin Adams all come in for scoreless relief, and for the Padres, a trio of home runs in this one. You have Will Myers being able to get a pair of home runs, one off of Santian, and then one off of Mr. Gadu out there in the bullpen. Seventh and eighth home runs of the season. Tommy Pham is able to get his sixth home run of the season for Ashton Gadu. He winds up giving up two runs in two innings. You have Art Warren give you a squirrel setting, but Sean Doolittle, he's doing very little for you. He gives up a run in an inning, and then Ryan Hendricks, he gives up two runs in an inning as well. And it's just interesting to watch the Detroit Tigers side in a night out as well. They wind up losing to the LA Angels by a count of 11-3. For the Angels, they are back to 500 as they were able to really take it out on Jose Yarena, who gives up three home runs, seven runs in total over the course of four and a third innings. Going deep for the Angels in this one, Jared Walsh's 16th home run of the season. Luis Rangifo, his first home run of the season, and then Joy Otani would take Yorenya deep for his 20th home run of the season, and then he would take Joe Jimenez deep for his 21st for Jimenez. He comes in, he gives up a run in an inning to raise his ERA to an 8-10. You actually had some decent bullpen pitching from Brian Garcia, gets two outs, 
it without giving up a run. Buck Farmer gives you a scoreless inning, and then Daniel Norris gives up three runs in an inning to raise his ERA to a 6.84. And for the Detroit Tigres, two of ten with men in scoring position, Alex Cobb looks solid. He gives up one under and run in five and two thirds innings. Bullpen a little bit of an issue for the Angels. You wind up having Junior Guerra go two innings. He gives up a run. Chris Rodriguez a run, give it up in one and a third innings, but. For the Angels, this is a team that all of a sudden has been able to mash. You take a look at the amount of games in which they've been able to score four-plus runs. Last time they didn't wind up scoring at least four runs. You have to go all the way back to June 4th. So, overs have been very good for them. And the Kansas City Royals were able to crank up the offense as well. 5-3, to three, the final over the Boston Red Sox. Nick Pavetta winds up going five strong. He gives up three runs in the process. Does wind up giving up three walks. That's been a little bit of an issue. And then Matt Andres, two runs in two innings. And then you have Yaxel Rios give you a scoreless setting before the Royals. It was the wholesale approach. Chris with the K. Bubich, who was supposed to start today. I had to redo my preview of Royals versus Red Sox for today because he winds up pitching two and two-thirds innings as sort of a bulk guy, giving up two runs in the process. Kyle Zimmer gives you two scoreless innings. You wind up getting four outs out of Irvin Santana. Scott Barlow gives up a run in an inning, but Jake Prince, Greg Allen, able to give you scoreless innings for the Kansas City Royals. How about Salvador Perez? 18th home run of the season off of Matt Andres, and Adelberto Mondesi is back, and he's looking very good. He gets his fourth home run of the campaign. Royals have been able to do a pretty solid job at home, especially with regards to the overs. And if you're taking a look at overs and unders, because I know that many people are taking a look at this, especially with the sicky substance that is being not allowed as much anymore by Major League Baseball, we're going to find out a little bit more with this subject with our good buddy Dan Zaborski in the next segment. But over the last 30 days, overs, 196 of them, unders, 184. So that's a 51.6% over clip. And if you're looking at favorites, they've been able to make you a bunch of money. 244 and 147 over the last 30 days. If you want to look a little bit more, I guess you could call it short-term last seven days. Favorites, 62 and 34, 64.6% clip. And ballparks are filling up a little bit more. We're also going to be asking Dan about some of these just insane home and road splits. Home teams over the last seven days, 65 and 31. They are winning at a 67.7% clip. That is really impressive. And if you're looking over the last seven days, 51 overs and 4,200. So that's about a 54.8% clip. I do attribute a lot of that to humidity, ballpark factors, and what have you. As for the year, we have seen 502 overs. 492 unders, so that is a 50.5% clip. And if you're looking overall for the year, home teams, 568, 464, 55% win rate. Favorites overall hitting at a 58.1% clip, 494 and 429. So that's what we all wanted seeing from Major League Baseball on Friday. Now let's talk to our good buddy Dan Zaborski about if he's making any adjustments with his statistical information and how he's gathering information with the foreign substance ban that we are seeing from Major League Baseball. Going to be talking about some of these extreme home and road splits as well. And we're also going to be talking to him about some of the teams that have overachieved and underachieved so far this year. That's coming in next right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to be joined by our next guest as this man does an absolutely terrific job over there with Fangraphs. You can occasionally catch him over there at ESPN. Covers all things baseball. And he also is a Zips statistician. That would be Dan Zaborski joining me. You're able to follow him on Twitter 
at his name, the letter D, and then last name Zimborski, S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I is how you spell that. And Dan, it is always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's always fun to be on. It is great to have you aboard. And by the way, happy early birthday to you. I think that this is going to be airing actually on the day of your birthday. Well, my birthday is a federal holiday now, but for <laughs> non-Dan-related reasons, because I share a birthday with Dirk Nowitzki, same day of the same year. He was a bit more talented than me, but I'll share it. He was a little bit better at basketball, but you do a better job on baseball. So you guys balance each other out. And baseball is right now trying to balance things out between pitchers and hitters. As we know, we've got the big crackdown that's going on on these foreign substances, spider tech, and what have you. I know you wind up doing your own stats. You wind up taking a look at all these teams, all these games. Is this going to be affecting the way that you take a look at some of these teams? Or is it just one of these things in which you really just base it a little bit equally because we just don't know who has slash has not been using some of these foreign substances. It's extremely unsatisfying, trust me, but there's not that much you can do because you don't really know, first, what the exact effects of particular substances are on balls. You don't know who was using when, when they accumulated their statistics, and that makes it very difficult to kind of, you know, gauge what the statistical effect on you know, baseball events are. We could speculate, but we don't really know anything. So it's one of those things that's just kind of floating out there to kind of make you look wrong. And I think the other issue is we don't know really how much baseball is going to do about it in the end because they make noise about enforcing lots and lots of things. And they always have some big thing, like, you know, it's sticky stuff now or it might be speeding up games. But, you know, baseball is very conservative about these things, generally speaking. And they tend to do things in kind of the most slapdash manner possible. So I think we could have a situation where it's arbitrarily enforced by a few players or by a few teams or a few umpires. It's unpopular and people complain and then it's kind of quietly dropped back to the status quo. But I'd be happy to be wrong because, you know, if you have a rule, it has to be enforced consistently. I agree with you. If you do have a rule, you should be actually putting it into practice and I do think that it is very funny what Major League Baseball, it sounds like, is going to be doing for a first offense. You wind up getting a 10-game suspension with pay. So, oh, no, I have to take a vacation for a week and a half. I have to wind up, like, rehabbing for a start or two, and I get paid for it. Oh, the terror. This is just absolutely terrible, which I do have a feeling that they're probably going to be upping that a little bit if they are very serious about it. So, one of these things in which... We're going to see how this winds up playing out. I think that so many people, including myself and Dan, very curious about it, as we do have Dan Zaborski joining me on the podcast. And Dan, I know that something that has really been a theme of this year is teams being highly inconsistent home to road. It's been mostly the bad teams, the Colorado Rockies. Five road wins so far this year. Meanwhile, they have actually been very good at home. I find that to be very intriguing. The Arizona Diamondbacks have set a new record for 23 straight road losses. That's just absolutely terrible. I have no idea how the Arizona Diamondbacks have managed to lose. As we're doing this podcast, I believe 37 out of 42 games. I didn't think that was humanly possible. And I even a team like the Chicago Cubs, 24 and 10 at home, 15 at 20 on the road. What do you attribute this to? Because I know that fans are coming back in the stands, but for one, at the beginning of the year, you didn't have the fans. Two, a lot of these places are not necessarily full capacity yet, even if they are saying they are just because teams are easing back into it. You don't wind up getting the groups going out to the ballpark, so it's more like 75% capacity in a lot of these partial sellouts. But I take a look at it, and 
It's been so stark to watch some of these teams have demonstrative home and road splits. It's kind of wild to see how bad the Arizona Diamondbacks have been on the road. And as far as I can tell, there's no obvious reason that they should be. At least Coors Field, you at least have kind of a different altitude. The ball acts differently. There is a small but real Coors Field hangover effect. And at least, you know, they kind of have an excuse for playing poorly on the road and having splits. I can't figure that out for Arizona. I mean, they don't even have the home road park factors that they had in the past since they started using the humidor. I don't know what to attribute to is just one of those quirky things in baseball. I don't see the obvious reason for it, which is another thing that's frustrating. It feels like this is going to be the I don't know episode (laughs) because I don't know. Just like with the performance enhancing added substances onto the ball. I don't really know. It's one of those things. Yeah. I mean, you expect the team to be a little bit worse on the road than they are at home because as you know, ballparks play a little bit differently. If you wind up having the short porch out there in the Yankees stadium, you wind up bringing in some guys that are going to be able to hit it out. Everything like that is, it sounds like we've got an Amber Alert on Ted Zaborski's yeah. part, which I find to be very late. I have a tornado alert. So this is exciting live podcasting. For the oh, National Weather is- Service. You can't turn that off. Yeah, tornado warning is in effect. Take shelter now in a basement or an interior room on the lowest floor of a sturdy building. My office is in the basement, so I think I just am good unless I lose power, in which case I won't be talking to you anymore. <laughs> I'll keep you company for as long as you've got power as we do have Dan Zaborski joining me on the podcast. One of that has just been completely insane. And speaking of completely insane, I mean, it is absolutely wild what we've seen out of the San Francisco Giants so far this year. Best record out there in the National League. I know that many people have yet to buy in this team. I certainly have. I just continue to say it on this podcast. I feel like the biggest offseason acquisition out of all these teams was the San Francisco Giants getting back Buster Posey because we all know what he's able to do with the bat, but just the little things that he's able to do with being able to calm down pitchers, being able to call a game has been tremendous with the Giants. I don't know if they're going to be quite finishing up with the best record out there in the National League, but I think that this is a for real team, and I think that they've got a tremendous shot to be able to make the postseason with the way that they're playing. One of the things, going into the season, I liked the Giants rotation. I even wrote a piece, I believe, that I don't remember what I had titled it, but I thought that the Giants rotation was sneaky good, and they've been more than sneaky good at times. Kevin Gosman is finally, you know, having that season that we all waited for when I'm from Baltimore. I mean, he has an ERA well under two. He's already struck out 100 guys. He's having a terrific season. He's finally having that breakout year without really developing a third pitch. And some of their those signings were low-key and very clever. Getting Anthony Desclafani cheap was useful. Getting a flyer on Alex Wood, who's somehow been healthy again. He's been so rarely healthy in the last few years so that's been a big plus for them but what has like completely surprised me is just how good the offense has been brandon crawford is not a young player but he's got an 860 something ops buster posey's hitting like it's 2012 it's an offense that i did not see them playing on this level but they are third in the league and run scored and they play in a pitcher's park i think there's still some reason for skepticism about whether they can match up player for player against the Dodgers or Padres. But the thing is, they're in first place as we talk. They really can just go about 500 and still make the playoffs. They're in a pretty good position. I know that you always lay out the example of there's always at some point where you get enough of a head start (laughs) that you'd be able to knock off Usain Bolt in a race. 
I feel like the San Francisco Giants are getting closer and closer to just having that head start that they need that they're going to be able to take down some of these teams and be able to make the postseason. As we do have Van Zaborski joining me on the podcast, I think that that's such a good point that you bring up about the Giants and the way that they're getting on base because I believe that they lead the league in walks per game when they are at home. So they've been able to do a great job with that regard, despite the fact that the batting average has not necessarily been there. And when you take a look at surprise teams, I think that at the top of the list for so many people in a good way, it is the San Francisco Giants. Is there another team or two that really jumps out to you that has really shocked you, whether it be in a good way, in a bad way, or even in a little bit of an indifferent way? Because the one thing that I've been surprised about is the team that they're going to be going up against the Philadelphia Phillies and the fact that they are 2-14 and 14 in the last 16 road starts of Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola, one of the better pitchers out there in the big leagues, but this guy just can't pitch on the road. It's one of those things where I know that you get a little bit befuddled by some of these home and road splits. I just have no idea how the Phillies are currently sitting here as we're doing this podcast going into Friday night, 33-33, and 33, tearing it up at home, and then on the road, they just forget how to play baseball. It's a real up and down team, and there's room to win in the NL East. The Mets are not invincible. They have had a ton of injuries. The Braves have lost Mike Soroka. We don't even know if he's going to play this season. And the Phillies have kind of been an underwhelming team. They never really came out of their rebuild to kind of bust upon the scene. They brought in Harper. They brought in Wheeler, but they still need more. And it's a team that it does need a lot of work, but you have to like where they are right now. I always feel bad for Aaron Nola because I think he's one of the more underrated pitchers in baseball. Now, the team that surprises me, and this is in a bad way, is I'm still surprised that the Twins just have not really turned things around. I think that, yeah, they're so far back now that they probably weren't going to make the playoffs. But I thought at some point they were just going to start to play better baseball. And they didn't drop two or three to the Mariners. They they dropped two or three to the Orioles. They lost more than they won against the Royals. I don't remember when the last time they even won a series. I think it was when they swept the Orioles back in May, maybe, last time they won a series. This team needs to kind of decide where they're going because – they're probably out of time to make additions to improve the team to make a pennant run. And they have guys who are approaching free agency and they need to start looking at the team and seeing where they are, where they're going, what they're going to do. Because Jose Barrios, if they want to trade him, his value is not going to get much higher. Teams want to buy guys or trade for guys with like a year and a half left, not just, you know, a couple months. You don't see those July rentals anymore. It's the same with Byron Buxton when he's healthy. Is he actually going to be in Minnesota past 2022? If he's not, then you have to seriously start considering, hey, maybe the Yankees would give us something for Buxton that will help us win in the future because we're not going to keep Buxton. I don't know what Minnesota's doing. They're not winning and it doesn't feel like that they're using the season productively. I agree with you. And you take a look at the Twins. They've actually gotten some production out of some of their young guys. Nick Gore Alex Kurilov, Trevor Larnage. These guys have been halfway decent for them being able to fill in. It's really been partially a few of the back end starters. Jose Barrios, Jose Barrios has actually been solid on the road, which has always been the knock on him, but you really don't have anyone outside of him that's able to give you a good start every five days. And my goodness, the Alex Colme signing has been terrible. I mean, we expected a whole heck of a lot more than a five, like 60 ish ERA. And then you just take a look up and down the list. 
it's really been the pitching that is done in the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. If you look at Colome, you think, that's really like the Rocky signed him the way he's pitching. Because, you know, the way they sign relief pitchers and then uh. they, get, they explode. But the Twins can't win with an ERA around five. The starting pitching after Berrios and Pineda has been terrible. I mean, Taylor Rogers has been fine. The front end of the bullpen has been fine. It's nothing that's really going to push them into the playoffs. And the offense has been middling. I mean, Miguel Sano has not been good this season. If they had, you know, healthy Buxton, healthy Kepler, healthy Garver, the offense might be doing a little better than it is right now. But at this point, it's too little too late. They're behind the Tigers. Yeah, that's all that needs to be said. But when you're behind the Detroit (laughs) Tigers out there in your division, you know that it's not going well. But something that always goes well for us, being able to bring Dan Zaborski on this podcast. He wound up doing this podcast interview while there was a tornado warning going on out there. So that tells you that he is a pro's pro. And Dan, I know that you're doing tremendous work for Fangrass. You occasionally appear on ESPN where you also deliver some terrific work. I know you do a great job of just diving into a little bit of everything baseball. I'm sure that you, much like myself, are trying to figure out what's all going to be happening with this foreign substance ban that is apparently going to be taking place, but we don't know exactly know how it's going to be enforced, if it's going to be enforced, what the effects are going to be. I know that you're diving into that and so much more. So let the good people at home know how they're able to follow along on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. Well, you can always find me at D Zimborski on Twitter, D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I-S-Z-Y if you're in Canada. I always get the Canadians with that. They appreciate that little touch of detail. Now I'm doing some Braves projections. We're near the halfway point, so there'll be some midseason projection updates, kind of a preliminary forensic analysis of who we're doing well with projecting and who we're not. And that'll be at Fangraphs all next week. I'm off a day for my birthday on Monday. Yay. Uh, yay, extended weekend. And hopefully I won't be in Oz because I have no idea where this tornado is. So this could be a historic podcast appearance. Yep, it certainly could be. <laughs> hopefully it's less historic than that. Hopefully it's historic for good reasons and not bad reasons. But Dan certainly does terrific work over there with Fangraphs, ESPN. And we get him on this podcast every few weeks. And it's always a pleasure when we do so. Big thanks to Dan Zaborski for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming next, it is that time the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday. And a little something you like to call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always a pleasure to be joined by Dan Zimborski of Fangrass. He always delivers great information and just a good chat in general. So great to be able to get him aboard. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday. And a little something you like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScore81. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first. Then the American League games are going to be after that. Then we've got one interleague game that is going to be on the bottom, and the Pittsburgh Pirates being on the bottom is very, very fitting for the way that their season has been going, and The one thing that I will be doing is we do have a double dip today between the Mets and the Washington Nationals. That's going to be at the front, and I'm just going to do both of those games all together because 
we do have quite a few undecided pitchers for number two as well. So I just want to caution you that. As we do begin with that double dip, 901-902 on the betting board is the New York Mets against the Washington Nationals. Same with 907-908. Currently, we have no numbers up on any of these games, but it looks like in game one of this double dip, we're going to have David Peterson, no relation to myself, going for the Mets. Meanwhile, Joe Ross is going to be on the bump for the Washington Nationals. And then in Game 2, right now I'm seeing John Lesser for the Washington Nationals and no pitcher listed for the New York Metropolitans. So we've got a lot of mystery with this. If it does wind up being David Peterson, no relation against Joe Ross, I've got a number for this one. Right now, I'm making the Nationals a minus-134 favorite. I'd be setting this total at 6.8 because keep in mind, 7 inning doubleheaders. So 6.5 for Laura would be taking a look at the over. 7 or higher would be taking a look at the under. When you take a look at Joe Ross, he's really been on him by two bad starts so far this year. When you take a look outside of the two just absolutely cataclysmic starts he wound up giving up. I think it was 10 runs to the St. Louis Cardinals and then he gave up 8 to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Outside of that, it's been a little bit better and you take a look at what he's been able to do so far this month. Hasn't been great, has been terrible. You did give up 4 runs to the Philadelphia Phillies. They were all unearned runs as the Washington Nationals let him down and then he went 8 scoreless against the San Francisco Giants, which is actually a pretty good feat. And then you take a look at David Peterson. He wound up having a couple bad starts, but I attribute a lot of that to the fact that it just felt like every single day he was having his start pushback. You'll note that he wound up having his start on May 24th, and then he wound up having his next start on June 2nd, so he just kept on having it pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and as a starting pitcher, I've talked to Josh Showers of the Vegas Stats and Information Network about this. It's just so tough, and then in his last start against the Cubs, he winds up firing six scoreless, so it looks like he's back on kilter a little bit with Peterson giving you a right around nine and a half punch outs per nine innings with Joe Ross. He gives you more around eight and a half, but with both of these guys, they give up quite a bit of hard contact. Both of these guys, just under two home runs per nine innings. Both of these gentlemen as well, they're going to give you a couple free passes right around three and a half to four walks per nine innings, but with the Washington Nationals, I do think that they've got some solid bullpen pieces. Brian Hand is someone that I take a look at. He's been able to do a solid job for this team. you got to be taking a look at what Kyle Finnegan has been able to do. He wound up having a rough start to begin the year, but he's been able to pick it up. Danny Hudson has been solid, but it looks like he's going to be unavailable for this series. And then for the Metropolitans, guys like Miguel Castro have been very solid for this team. You've even got someone like an Aaron Loop. Seth Lugo's off the injured list. We all know about Edwin Diaz, so you've got quite a bit there. I'm done with the Mets. This is a lineup that is starting to pick it up as well. You've got quite a few guys hitting in that pocket between a 250 and a 265. Pete Alonso, Jonathan VR, Luis Galorme are all doing that. And then you've got a guy hitting a 270 and Mason Williams and been able to get a little bit out of Dom Smith as well. So they seem to be picking it up. And then when you take a look at the Washington Nationals, Ryan Zimmerman is really turning back time. This is someone that is giving you a home run every, I would say, about 15 or so at-bats. Hitting a 271 Soto. 400 on base, but you just expect a little bit more than 8 home runs in 188 at-bats going into yesterday. Kyle Schwarber's been able to supply a little bit of boom, but he's only going to get 230 for the team. Josh Harrison has been able to get on base. Young Gomes recently has been able to hit home runs, but those have all come against the Pittsburgh Pirates, so there's a little bit of question mark there. I did wind up making the Nationals the favorite in that Peterson against Ross start. And then with John Lester... He's probably going to be a little bit of a favorite because I just have a feeling that the Mets are going to be going with a bullpen game. And heck, 
We saw Seth Lugo get a couple starts last year. I wouldn't put it out of the question that he might wind up getting the start because Jordan Yamamoto, I believe, is on the 60-day injured list. He has been getting a couple of these starts. I doubt that he's going to be getting that in this case. And for Lester, 0-2 record, but he does have a 409 ERA. Now, he's lucky to have that 409 ERA. So he's given up nearly four walks per nine. And as you take a look at the home runs per nine, it's hovering right around one and a half. But he's actually been much better recently, giving up two runs of fear in each out of his last four starts. Now, he's went past five and the third innings just once, so he's not necessarily giving you a ton of length of four punch outs or fewer in each out of his last five starts, but by and large, he's been able to do a solid job. So, Nationals are going to be a favorite in the Ross versus David Peterson start, and like I said, seven or higher looking at the under, six and a half or higher looking at the over, and then with John Lester versus Mystery Pitcher. Going to be taking probably a look at John Lester in the total. It just depends on what we wind up getting with the New York Mets. So check back in the morning with Twitter feed at Jaron Squirty1. We should know a little bit more once we hit the AM. 903-904 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Chicago Cubs. Jake Arrieta is going to be going for the Cubs. Meanwhile, one Pablo Lopez is going to be on the bump for the Miami Marlins. So we're finding themselves a slight underdogs here. Anywhere between even money and plus 110. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Chicago, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Only Circa and the Westgate have numbers up on this total. A lot of books wind up waiting on regular field totals because they are based on the win. But seeing a NAS over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115 on the over. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And this is relatively in line because we're going to have a little bit of a directional win. Might be blowing in a tad, but I don't think it's anything that is going to be making a quantum shift on this game. I wound up setting the Miami Marlins as a very, very slight underdog. Pretty much anything above a plus 103 was going to be a take for me, so this is the spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at that, and I want to sing my total eight and a half. so seeing the juice on the over, I'll probably be taking a look at the under in this spot, because with Pablo Lopez, he has actually been able to do a very good job of being able to limit hard contact. He is giving up right around one home run per nine innings. He's giving out two and a half walks per nine, three, one, two ERA. Now, with Pablo Lopez, he has been a little bit different home to road. On the road, he's got more around a five-ish ERA, and opponents are earning 300 off of him, but you also take a look at Jake Arrieta. He's lucky he has five wins so far this year. A 5-1-4 ERA, giving up a whole bunch of home runs. He's given up nearly 1.8-ish per nine innings. The walks per nine that is hovering right around four-ish. And you take a look at him at home, much better than on the road. 3-1-6, home ERA, 6-51 road ERA. So that is a little bit of a redeeming quality. And then when you take a look at the Cubs lineup, you certainly have quite a few guys that are able to slug out the home runs. You've got right now in the starting lineup from yesterday, five guys with at least nine home runs, and one of those guys is Patrick Wisdom, who has got nine home runs at 59 at-bats. So he has been absolutely amazing for this team. Wilson Contreras has been able to give you 11 bombs. Javi Baez, 16 home runs. He's getting a home run every 13 or so at-bats. You've been able to get Anthony Rizzo on base. He has been able to have like a 350-ish on base. Chris Bryant, his on base is right around a 380, 13 home runs, 39 RBI. So these guys have been able to get the job done. Jock Peterson has been able to do a better job of being able to get on base. And Sergio Alcantara is giving you a little bit of something in the infield as well. Then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. You've got the Marte Parte, Starling Marte. Well over a 425 on base, 333 batting average. Asus Aguiar, Adam Duvall, pair of guys with 12 home runs. But for Aguiar, doing a much better job of getting on base. Right around a 350-ish on base. For Duvall, that's more around a 275. He's only getting a 205, so he needs to work on that. But 
Here's the good news for the Miami Marlins. Yesterday, they wound up getting Miguel Rojas back in the fold. He is hitting at 275. Does a great job of being a little bit of a table setter for the team, which is big because you've got guys like Luan Diaz, John Birdie, Mr. Sanchez out there in the outfield, Jesus Sanchez, Lewis Brinson, a bunch of guys not doing a great job of being able to get on base. And for both of these bullpens, they've been relatively solid, especially the Chicago Cubs. I mean, Andrew Jaffin right now is a sub-2 ERA. Tommy Nance, Ryan Tapera, some of these guys that you don't think a lot about, they have been solid. Dylan Maples, it looks like, is currently on the injured list, but Dan Winkler has been solid, and Craig Kimbrell looks like the Craig Kimbrell of old. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Miami Marlins. John Curtis with two S's has been solved for the team. The former L.A. Dodgers, Amy Garcia, Dylan Floor, they've been able to give you some good innings. Zach Pop is a guy that has been lit up a little bit recently, but he's still able to give you a couple innings as well. I take a look at Pablo Lopez. I do think that he's going to be able to give a good start in this spot. If we're seeing the 8.5 with juice on the over, I will be taking this total under, much like I'm seeing with the Westgate right now. Like I said, all I needed was pretty much any sort of a plus price here to take a shot with the Miami Marlins, so we're going to take that plus price with the fish. 905-906 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants are going to be playing with the Philadelphia Phillies. Aaron Supernola is going to be going for the Philadelphia Phillies in my New York Post play today. As you've got Alex Wood, who's going to be on the bump for the Giants. This is pretty much a pick'em game here. You're going to be finding the San Francisco Giants anywhere between a minus 104 to minus 110 for the Phillies. Anywhere between a minus 103 and a minus 110. Your tallest game is 7.5 with a 7.5. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 110. Seeing a straight 8 out there as well. With that under of 8, you're finding that at minus 125. Over is plus 105. New York Post lay days. The Giants on the money line. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2-14 and 14 in Aaron Nola's last 16 road starts. That is not even a joke. It has been insane. Aaron Nola throughout his career, a full point on his ERA higher on the road than it is at home. Even just take a look this year. This year, away from home, Aaron Nola, 499 ERA, at home at 249 ERA. He's made seven starts away from home. He's made seven starts at home. Opponents are hitting at 270 off of him, away from Philly, 218 off of him in Philly. And when he's in Philadelphia, he's able to generate nearly 12 punch-outs per nine innings on the road, fewer than nine. So that is big. Meanwhile, you take a look at Alex Wood. He has been getting mid a little bit more recently, but you take a look at what he's been able to do in day games, and this is a day game. 0.82 ERA, and he has won every one of his starts. So that's something that I do take a look at, and at home, he's giving up less than a home run per nine innings. This is a San Francisco ballpark that is very pitcher-friendly. And you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. You've got quite a few guys that they don't necessarily have impressive batting averages. You take a look at guys like Wilmer Flores, Mike Ustremski, Brandon Bell, Jason Vossler. All these guys are in below 240. They all have on-base percentages. They're like 100 points better than their actual batting averages. Brandon Crawford sitting at 250 with 15 home runs. Buster Posey, about what he's doing right now. He's getting a home run every 13 at-bats, more than a 400 on-base. He has been amazing for the team. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, Bryce Harper's bag the fold. He's been banged up all year long. He, Odubo Herrera, along with Brad Miller, rolling between a 264 and a 276 inside of that pocket. And then you've got... Andrew McCutcheon, he's been able to give you 11 home runs, but he's only hitting at 221. On base has been solid, but Alec Baum, he is not walking very much. He's hitting at 230. He's got four home runs at 235 at bats. He has been a big disappointment this year, and the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen always disappoints you as well. Hector Neris has a solid 
ERA, but seems like he falters at just the wrong time. You've got David Ayo, who's not necessarily been too terrific. Jose Alvarado is someone who's been a little bit shaky so far this year. Archie Bradley, since coming off the injured list, has been solid, but then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. I do like what you're able to get out of this team. Jake McGee has been a little bit shaky recently, but Tyler Rogers has been good. Connor Menez in multiple ending situations has actually been very good as well. You take a look at someone like Jose Alvarez. He has been solid. Jarlin Garcia, after a very rough start to begin the year, he's been able to calm down as well. So the New York Post play day. We're going to be going with the San Francisco Giants. I set them more around a minus 129 favorite. Also set them total 8.3, so we're going to be going over as well. 907-908 was a part of that Mets versus Nationals double dip, so we go to 909-910 on the betting board. The Slam Diego Padres are going to be playing us to the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati or on the road with Vladimir Gutierrez going for them. Meanwhile, for the Padres, it is looking like it's going to be Denelson Lamets, though there is a little bit of question mark there. With the board showing Lamette versus Gutierrez, the Padres are currently anywhere between a minus 175 and a minus 185 favorite. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the red legs, anywhere between plus 155 and plus 166, half is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. And for Gutierrez, he has actually been very good in his start so far this year. I believe that the Reds have lost just one of them. He's given up two home runs in 23 innings. Walks are a little bit of a concern, giving up a little bit over four walks per nine innings. But you take a look at Denelson Lamette. Every time he gets stretched out more and more, it gets worse and worse for him. In starts in which he gives the team four plus innings, and he's got three of them so far this season. He has given up a combined six runs across 15 innings. He, in that time span, has not necessarily walked a ton, but swing and miss stuff, it's great. It's not necessarily what it was last year. Right around 10 strikeouts per nine innings, which it's certainly nothing to scoff at, but at the same time, you can tell that there has been a little bit of a fall off this year. And then when you take a look at the San Diego Padres, you've got Fernando Tatis Jr. is absolutely amazing. How about him being able to get 22 home runs and less than 200 at-bats so far this year, hitting a 280. Drunk Grisham is back full. He's hitting a 280. You've got quite a few guys that are hitting between, I would say, a 238 and a 253 as well. Will Myers, Eric Cosmer, Manny Machado, Tommy Pham are all in that neighborhood. All these guys have good on-base percentages as well. Jay Cronenworth has been solid, but with the Padres, other than Tati Jr., they don't necessarily have a lot of guys that are driving him in. Meanwhile, you take a look at Jonathan India on the road. He's got like a 375 on-base at his solid because this is a Reds team that they're generating about two runs per game fewer when they are on the road as opposed to at home. Jesse Winker and Cassianos they combined 30 home runs going into Friday. Both of these guys hitting north of a 340. Both of these guys north of a 4 on base. They have a terrific Taylor Naquin. 11 homers, 255 batting average. Joey Votto's back in the fold. He's able to give this team a little bit of something. Tucker Barnard, along with Tyler Stevenson. These guys have been able to come in. They've been able to be solid. Now, with the Padres, their big advantage is in the bullpen. You've got so many guys like an Emilio Pagan. Mark Melanson wound up having a little bit of a rough one to begin this series against the Cincinnati Reds, but even a Nisbel Kermit, these guys have been solid all year long. Meanwhile, with the Reds, it has not necessarily gone too terrific for their bullpen. Amir Garrett currently has an ERA north of 9. Brad Brock hasn't been too bad, but you would take a look at Ashton Gadu. I don't have a lot of faith in him. Ryan Hendricks, he has certainly been up and down. Art Warren has actually been good, but not having DJ Antone, that certainly is hurting this team. You take a look at the Padres. They should be a relatively solid favorite here, but I was willing to take a shot on the Reds as long as I was able to get north of a plus 162. I am seeing the plus 165 here, and with an offense like this, when you've got two guys in the middle of the lineup there so hard to get out. It's worth the plus price here, and you take a look at the total. I wound up saying this at 8.1, so I'm going to be diving under to go along with the Reds. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. You've got the St. Louis Cardinals sitting the road face-off against the Atlanta Braves. 
Drew Smiley is going to be going for the Braves. Meanwhile, Adam Wainwright is on the bump for the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals are finding themselves very slight underdogs here. Anywhere between even money and plus 110. Meanwhile, with the Atlanta Braves, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. 9.5 is your total. The over is anywhere between even and minus 115. Meanwhile, the under, that is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. And for Adam Wainwright, he has been such a different pitcher on the road than he is at home. At home, Adam Wainwright, a sub-3 ERA. He has been able to do an absolutely terrific job of being able to give the St. Louis Cardinals team so many great starts. Meanwhile, on the road, how about an 8.20 ERA? And he is allowing nearly three home runs per nine innings with opponents hitting a 3.13 off of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Drew Smiley. He's just giving up hard contact in general. He, in 56 innings, has given up 15 home runs. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not good. He is also giving up over three and a half walks per nine innings at home. 7.45 ERA, and he has allowed eight home runs in 19 and a third innings, and opponents are hitting a 300 off of him. So you've got two absolutely terrible pitchers, and you've got two bullpens that are not necessarily too terrific. They have a couple good parts. Giovanni Gallegos, Genesis Cabrera, along with Alex Reyes, have been terrific for the Cardinals. Rest of the bullpen has not necessarily been too terrific. Luke Jackson has been amazing for the Braves out of the bullpen. Tyler Madzik has been a little bit miss. He's actually been not too bad, but then you take a look at Edgar Santana, Sean Newcomb, Josh Shalman. Guys like this have been not good, especially Shane Green coming off the injured list. He has been a massive disappointment. And then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. This is an offense that they are generating the most home runs per game out there in the National League. Headlined by Ronald Acuna Jr. 18 home runs, 14 stolen bases, 295 batting average entering into Friday. Freddie Freeman, he's now hitting right in the realm of about a 250 along with Ozzie Albies. For Freeman, 16 home runs. Ozzie Albies only right around 9, but still has been able to give the team 40 RBI. Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley both have a double-digit amount of homers for Swanson. Only about a 235 along with William Contreras, but how about Austin Riley? Nearly a 375 on base, and then for the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got some good table setters for this team. Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, Yadier Molina, Umando Sosa. Only between a 260 and a 270 entering into yesterday's contest, and then you had Tyler O'Neill hitting at 280 with 15 home runs. Paul Goldschmidt hitting at 250. At some point, he's going to be able to pick it up. I know I've said this a lot, but you got to figure that you're going to be able to see something nice out of him, but I just really don't trust an Adam Wainwright on the road. I really don't trust a Drew Smiley either, but I was willing to lay up to a minus 116 here with the Atlanta Braves since they are at home and since they do have so much firepower, I was willing to lay the minus 115, so we barely got there on that front. And when it comes to the total, set it at 9.6, so we're going to be going over along with the Bravos. 9.13, 9.14 on the bang board. The Colorado Rockies are going to be playing us to the Milwaukee Brewers. Adrian, don't call me Dookie Hauser, is going to be going for the Brew Crew. Meanwhile, Austin Gomber is going to be going for the Rockies. Rockies are finding themselves as underdogs at home, anywhere between even money and plus 111. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Brew Crew, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 110 and a minus 123 with your total anywhere between 10.5 and, and 11. On the 10.5, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and even. On the 11, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even and minus 110. For Adrian Hauser, I just have a tough time making him a road favorite. I know that the Colorado Rockies have been atrocious on the road, but they are a vastly different team home to road with the Colorado Rockies. Five road wins so far this year. That is not good, ladies and gentlemen, but going into Friday, this has actually been one of the better home teams out there in the National League at 24-14, and 14, and this is a Colorado Rockies team that at home is hitting about a 270 as a collective on the road that's more like at the Mendoza line of 200, so this is a vastly different team, and then you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. you got a lot of guys that are not necessarily holding up their end of the bargain when it comes to 
their batting averages and being able to get on base. Daniel Vogelback, William Adamas, Luis Urias, along with Jackie Bradley Jr., Manny Pina, Travis Shaw. All guys are in a 225 or lower. Gustin Euro was so bad that he was sent down to AAA Nashville. And for Christian Yelich, three home runs and 113 at-bats going into yesterday. My goodness, that is not good. The only guy with more than eight home runs entering into yesterday, obviously, Garcia sitting right around 240. And then for the Colorado Rockies, Ryan McMahon, 16 home runs entering into yesterday. He's been doing a great job of being able to get on base. He, C.J. Krohn, along with Brendan Rodgers, Garrett Hansen, all in between a 245 and a 260 for the same throw in their Trevor Story, as well as been a little bit banged up Ramiel Tapia, sitting in the realm of about a 300. Dom Nunez has been vastly different home to road as well. And then you take a look at the Colorado Rockies bullpen. Certainly, it's not necessarily too terrific. Yancy Almonte has an ERA that is north of 10. Lucas Gilbreath has not necessarily been too terrific for this team, but Robert Stevenson has been okay. Justin Morris is someone with some upside who's able to throw 100 miles per hour. Daniel Bart has been good. And then for the Milwaukee Brewers, Devin Williams, Alon Josh Hader. These guys have been terrific. And Brad Boxberger has actually been good for this team. They pick up under Strickland, so you've got some interesting pieces there. But I take a look at Adrian Hauser. He has been a little bit inconsistent throughout his career so far this year. Has given up 10 home runs in 64 and two-thirds innings. A little bit more of a pitch-to-contact guy, which that is not going to play out there at Coors. Meanwhile, for us and Gomber, he has actually been amazing at Coors. Right now, for the year, right around 9 punch-outs per 9 innings, but at home, 0.95 ERA in 5 starts. You don't realize how hard that is. One home run given up in 28 and a third innings at Coors. Opponents are in a buck 40 off of him. That is absolute magic. I take a look at Gomber. I do think that he's going to be able to hold down the fort in this spot, so we are going to be going with the Colorado Rockies. And with this total, set it at 11.8. I don't understand why we've got totals south of 11 right now in this matchup, which is why we're going to be diving over along with the Colorado Rockies. 915-916 on the bang board. The LA Dodgers at the red faceoff against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Matt Peacock is going to be going for the D-backs. Walker Bueller is going to be going for the Dodgers. Dodgers are massive favorites here. And we're between minus 205 and minus 215. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Arizona, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 180 and plus 190. Your total on this game is between 9 and 9.5. On the 9, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. And on the 9.5, under is minus 120. The over is even. Matt Peacock wound up having a couple nice starts for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And as the entire Arizona Diamondbacks team has done, they went quickly downhill from there. I will say this for the Dodgers. Going into yesterday, they had won each out of their last 11 openers of a series. And then from there, they had went 2-9 and nine in Game 2 of those series as well. So they have not been good in Game 2 of series. I think that that's a little bit of a phony stat, but it is interesting. Bueller giving up right around 1.2 home runs per 9 innings, but also less than 2 walks per 9 innings. His strikeout numbers are a little bit down, but for Mac Peacock, he's getting right around 5.5 to 6 strikeouts per 9 innings. He's given up 3 walks per 9 innings. He's giving up more than 2 home runs per 9 innings. And he faces off against the Dodgers team, which on any given night about two-thirds of it has an on-base percentage as north of a 335. So, as I could help you out, Justin Turner down for what? Albert Pools, Chris Taylor, Mookie Betts, all guys with between 8 and 12 home runs. You've got balance power there, and really everyone other than Pools doing a good job of being able to get on-base and hitting north of a 250. Will Smith hitting a 270. He has been solid at the catcher spot for this team. Gavin Lux seems to be picking it up as well. And for the years in the Diamondbacks, you do have a couple trustworthy bats out there. The Marte Parte of Quitel Marte. Hitting a 350 for this team, doing a great job of being able to get on base. Carson Kelly, 380-ish on base as Yerba Cabrera is back in the fold. He and Josh Rojas are both hitting a 260. You've got Eduardo Escobar. Not necessarily drawing a lot of walks, but 15 home runs. 
245 batting average. That'll fly. And for Christian Walker, just a year to forget, 203 batting average. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is a team of which the bullpen has been a little bit better recently, but it's fine. Kick trend has not been good. Ryan Buecher, I don't think that he's going to be able to hold down the fort. They've got no Ramirez who they're kicking the tires on. And for the Dodgers, they've converted a couple starters into relievers like David Price, Jimmy Nelson. They seem to be coming along. You've got a guy in Blake Tryon that I really like. Mitch White and Victor Gonzalez have been nice finds out of the bullpen. And if you need them, Kenley Jansen is relatively solid. I set the Dodgers as a very big favorite here. Minus 236 on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line right now, you're going to be laying more in the realm of about a minus 130 to a minus 135. And I am comfortable being able to reduce the juice. I was willing to lay up to a minus 140 on that run line. I also set this total at 9.1. So we're going to be taking the 9 over in this spot. And I'm going to be taking the Dodgers on the run line. 917, 918 on the betting board. You got the Oakland A's in the road face against the New York Yankees. Domingo Herman is going to be going for the Yankees. Chris Bassett has the Oak line and sinker on this game for the Oakland A's. A's are finding themselves as slight underdogs, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. Meanwhile, for the Yankees, they are anywhere between minus 119 and minus 125. Your total on this game is 9. Over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Seeing a straight 9.5 out there as well at Circa. 9.5 under is minus 120, and the over is even. Bassett has been doing a terrific job of being able to limit our contact. He's been able to cut down on the walks as well. He is really putting it together as a pitcher so far this year. 7-2 record, right around .9 home runs per 9 innings, 2.1 walks per 9. He has been amazing. And away from home, 398 ERA, which isn't too bad, and he's 4-0 with regards to decisions. Now, he is someone in which opponents are hitting a little bit more off of him on the road, but still, 224 batting average, that's not too bad. And on the road, he's generating a little bit over 11 punch outs per 9 innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Domingo Herman. The team has lost 3 out of his last 4 starts, but by and large, he's been able do a solid job ever since he wound up getting sent up from the alternate site. Three runs of fear were given up in all but one of his last 10 starts. So he has been able to do a better job there. Now with Herman, he is giving up a little bit too much hard contact. He's giving up in the realm of about 1.7 home runs per nine innings. And you take a look at this Oakland A team. They don't necessarily do the best job of being able to hit for average, but they do a great job of just being able to find a way on base. That is headlined by Marcana. Double-digit amount of homers, 250 batting average, 370 on base. Ramon Laureano, double-digit amount of homers. He's hitting a 250. Matt Olson's hitting a 300. He built his 19th home run and 50th RBI of the season yesterday. Jed Lowry hitting a 250 for this team. Got a lot of guys that they just do a good job of being able to keep the line moving. And for the Yankees, got quite a few guys sitting in that pocket between, I would say, a 260 and a 270. DJ LeMayu, Labor Torres, Giancarlo Stanton, along Gio Urshela, all around there. And Giancarlo Stanton seems to be getting healthier, which is very good for this team. Meanwhile, you take a look at Aaron Judge, right around a 380 on base, 15 home runs entering into yesterday, but got some slugs on this team as well. Brett Gardner, Kyle Agashioka, Rudad Odor, a lot of guys hitting a 220 or lower. Chris Gittins, you're able to throw him in there. Luke Voigt came off the injured list. He's back on the injured list. Now, I will say Miguel Andujar hitting right around 255. He's been able to deliver some pop. And for the Yankees, bullpen has been very good. Lucas Lutige has been a nice find for the team. Wandy Peralta is able to give you some good innings. Chad Green has been solid in a role. This Chapman is role. This Chapman getting back. Zach Britton is nice. But for the A's as well, this is a team that they've actually got a better ERA away from home than they do at home. He is Meadow Batit. Birch Smith, Lou Trevino. These guys have been solid along. Jake Diekman, 
They kicked the tires on Cam Bedrosian. So far, so good. I wound up saying the Yankees as a slight favorite in the spot of minus 117. So you take a look at it with the Oakland A's. I do think that they're probably going to be getting to the plus 117 number that I'm going to be needing to take with them. But with the Oakland A's as well, with the run line, I was willing to take them more around a minus 165. So in some form or capacity, I do think that this is going to be getting to a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the Oakland A's just right now in a little bit of hold mode waiting for that Yankee money to come in. But in some form or capacity, unless if I see a line move that I just don't expect, I anticipate being on the Oakland A's in this spot. Also, while I'm saying the sold at 8 so we're going to be taking the under along with the Oakland A's, whether it be run line or money line. 919-920 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins at third faceoff against the Walker, Texas Rangers. Colby Allard is going to be going for the Rangers. Good old to be determined is right now listed for the Minnesota Twins, so we currently have no numbers up on this game. And for the Minnesota Twins, it could legitimately be anyone. I know that they've been giving Bailey over some starts. I think that he wound up getting used a couple days ago. It looks like, according to ESPN, it just showed up as Randy Dominic, and in this spot, I'd be making the Minnesota Twins probably right around, as strange as it sounds, about a plus 125 to plus 130 underdog because Dominic has been absolutely terrible. He's made a couple starts. He's made a couple relief appearances. He's been bad out of the bullpen. He's been bad as a starter. Heck, I think that he's bad at selling hot dogs at the hot dogs stand. Right now, 38 and two-thirds innings across 12 total appearances. He has given up 10 home runs, and he's getting right around 6.5 punch outs per 9 innings. He has given up at least 3 runs in each out of his last 4 starts, and in 3 of those 4 starts, at least 6 runs. And it is so bad that he has gotten eight strikeouts in his last four starts. And in one of his starts, he gave up eight runs. Jeez. And then he's backed up by a bullpen of the Minnesota Twins that has been very, very underachieving, to say the least. Alex Colomay has been a waste of money. He's got north of a 5 ERA. Oriole Collins has not necessarily been too bad. Ty Duffy, a little bit up and down. Luke Farrell's been able to give you a couple of innings. That's a Robles, Taylor Rogers are not necessarily too bad. But then you take a look at the Texas Rangers. Certainly guys like Brett DeGeis are not necessarily your headliners out there in the bullpen. But John King has been okay. Ian Kennedy has been able to give you 12 saves. He's got right around a 3-ish ERA. So that's been good. And for Colby Allard... In the starter role, he has not necessarily been too terrible. He's made three starts so far this year. He's given up two runs or fewer in every one of them, including on the road against the Dodgers when they wound up being able to pull off that nice 12-1 win. He's been able to get a combined 14 punch-outs in those starts as well across 14 innings. So he's actually been relatively rock solid, and he's backed up by a lineup that I'm not going to call it terrific, especially with Adolias Garcia just seemingly being stuck on 16 home runs for an eon. I think that he's been there for like four weeks, but still, 275 batting average with him. Willie Calhoun is hitting a 250 for the scene. Got a lot of guys that are hitting, I would say, in that pocket of between a 230 and a 245. Nate Lowe, Nick Solak, Brock Holt, Jose Trevino. So you've got a lot of guys that are sort of doing that. A lot of these guys have good on bases. You've got Joey Gallo, 216 batting average, but his on-base percentage hovering more around to 375 for the Minnesota Twins. The young guys have been able to produce for this team. Alex Gerloff along with... Trevor Larnich and Williams Estadio only between a 254 and a 264. Nelson Cruz looks like the Nelson Cruz of old. 14 home runs so far this year, but you take a look at it, he's been able to belt out three bombs in his last seven games, so that's all. Luis Arias is back in the fold. Not necessarily a guy that's going to give you too much pop. One home run so far this year, but 275 batting average just does a good job of being able to table set for this team, and you've been able to get a little bit of something in center field out of Nick Gordon as well, but I take a look at this spot. As long as it is Randy Dominic against Colby Aller, 
like I said, I'd be setting the Texas Rangers right around a minus 125 favorite. And this is a spot in which I'd be taking a look at a total of 9 or lower over 9.5 or higher. I'd be taking a look at the under. 921-922 on the betting board. You got the Toronto Blue Jays in the road face-off against the Baltimore Orioles. Dean Kramer is going to be going for the Orioles. Alec Manoa is going to be going for the Toronto A.K.A. Buffalo Blue Jays. Blue Jays are finding themselves as very sizable favorites here. Anywhere between minus 165, minus 175. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Orioles, you're going to be finding them. Anywhere between plus 151 and plus 156, 9.5 to 10 is the total on this one. With the 9.5, overs anywhere between minus 120, minus 125, unders anywhere between even and plus 105 on the 10. The overs anywhere between minus 110 and even money. The unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. And for Dean Kramer and the entire Baltimore Orioles, it has not been a good season. I personally wound up saying the Baltimore Orioles as right in the neighbor of a plus 175 underdog myself. And if you're looking at the run line, I'm seeing that anywhere in the pocket of between a minus 110 and a minus 115. I'd be willing to lay that with the Blue Jays. Once you get north of minus 115, then it becomes a little bit more of a roll of the dice. But you take a look at Alec Manoa. Is he probably getting a little bit overpriced compared to what he's done? Yes, but at the same time, when you're going up against the Baltimore Orioles, it certainly is warranted. With Manoa, he has been able to post up a 266 ERA. He has been able to make four starts so far, and thus far, he's given up three home runs in 20 and a third innings. Walks are a little bit high. He's given up nearly four walks per nine innings, but two runs are fewer given up in three out of his four starts, and his starts have come against the Miami Marlins, which was actually his worst one, and then on the road against the Yankees, on the road against the White Sox, on the road against the Red Sox. So it's not like he's been going up against a bunch of cream puffs. And then you take a look at Team Crummer in 0-6 record with a 6.55 ERA. I mean, it's just absolutely terrible. He's giving up more than 2.3 home runs per nine innings. He's giving up four walks per nine. His strikeouts per nine is hovering right around eight, which isn't necessarily too bad. But, I mean, at home, he's got an 8.41 ERA, 0-3 in five starts. He's giving up eight home runs in 20 and a third innings. Opponents earning a 3.30 off of him in Baltimore. And he's going up against the Toronto Blue Jays, which is a very fearsome lineup. You've got Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's right now leading the American League in every Triple Crown category. Randall Gritchick, Boba Ship, Marcus Simeon. All these guys have at least 13 home runs. In the case of Simeon and Bichette, both of these guys, a north of a 275 for Grigic, more around a 262, a 265, and then Lourdes Gurriel has been able to hit a 250 for this team. Joe Panic, along Santiago Espeno, hitting between a 265 and a 275. Really the lone deficiency for the team is that the catcher spot has been a little bit tough. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. The offense hasn't been too terrible for this team recently. Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, Freddie Galvis, all these guys are hitting between a 245 and a 255. Trey Boom Mancini. He has been able to give this team a little bit of something. Ian Cedric Mullins, double-digit amount of homers for Mancini, 355 on base. Mullins, 320 batting average, 390 on base. Belt a home run yesterday. He has been solid, but then you take a look at some of the other guys. Pat Faleka, Ryan McKenna, Mikel Franco, Stevie Wilkerson, Jan Sisko, Austin Wins. All these guys hitting at 220 or lower. It's been absolutely terrible. And for the Baltimore Orioles, they wind up giving Tom a showman the start yesterday, so that means that you had to dive into your bullpen, and you've got quite a few guys that are not necessarily too terrific out of the bullpen. Cole Solzer, Tanner Scott, these guys have been terrific, but Max Kroller has an ERA that is way too high. You've got Tyler Wells, who is right around about a 4-ish ERA. He's actually been halfway decent. Hunter Harvey coming out of the bullpen, he's actually been relatively solid, not to be confused with Matt Harvey, because Matt Harvey has been absolutely terrible. And you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, you've got quite a few guys that are able to give you a good bullpen performance as well. Jeremy Beasley, whenever he's been in, he's actually been relatively solid. Anthony Castro, Joel Payampas, even Jordan Romano. These guys have been very good. So, going to be taking a look at the Blue Jays on the run line. 
Question becomes the total because this is an Orioles team that they're able to generate some runs, but at the same time, I do think that Alec Manoa is going to be able to hold down the fourth set, the total at nine, so we're going to be diving under along with the Blue Jays run line. Game 923-924 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Kansas City Royals playing host to the Boston Red Sox. Juan Martin Perez is going to be going for the Red Sox. Brad Thunder Keller is going to be on the bump for the Royals after it looked like it was going to be Chris Bubich, and unexpectedly, he wound up coming in in relief on Friday. So we've got a nice switcheroo here if you're taking a look at the Red Sox. Fighting them anywhere between minus 120 and minus 136 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Royals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a plus 110 and a plus 126. Your total on this game, anywhere between 10.5 and, and 11. On the 10.5, over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110 if you're looking at the 11. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. And when you take a look at this game, City Royals team, it's absolutely remarkable that they've got a 6-6 six six record for Brad Keller. He's got a 6-14 ERA, 8 strikeouts per 9 innings. He's giving up 1.3 home runs per 9 innings. He's giving up 4 walks per 9 innings. You take a look at it, he has given up a combined 12 runs in his last 2 starts against the Angels and the Detroit Tigers. He has not been good all year long, and yet the team has been able to produce a bunch of runs for him. And Keller's actually been worse on his home field rather than on the road. 780 ERA at home. On the road, it's more like a 475. He is giving up right around four home runs in 30 innings at home so far this year, but opponents are hitting a 331 off of him. Martin Perez is the exact opposite. This is a gentleman that has allowed a lot more at home than he has on the road. 668 home ERA, 215 road ERA in five starts on the road so far this year. He's given up two home runs and six walks, and opponents are hitting a 222 off of him at Fenway. Opponents are hitting a 313 off of him, and he's allowed six home runs and 16 walks in 32 and two-thirds innings. And then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. It was pretty much a bullpen game for this team yesterday. I mentioned the fact that Chris with a K boobish it looked like was going to be starting this game. Brad Keller has been forced into action because he wound up throwing two and two-thirds innings. Jake Brent, Scott Barlow, Greg Holland. Three of your better bullpen arms wound up pitching yesterday for the Kansas City Royals. Now Josh Stamount is going to be available for this team. But then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. This is a team that they're going to have most of their good bullpen pieces ready to go. Hitokazuta Romura is going to be out there. Tar wins and Hernandez has been solid. Adam Adovino has actually given you some good innings. And then when you take a look at the Boston Red Sox, lineup is out. J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts. Pair of guys with 13 home runs, both hitting above a 368 on base, both hitting above a 300 overall. Rafael Devers, 17 home runs, 280 batting average. Hunter Renfro, Christian Vasquez, along with Christian Arroyo, all in between a 260 and a 270. Now guys like Danny Santana, Marwin Gonzalez, I'll even throw in there Kike Hernandez. They've not necessarily been too terrific with the bat, but Alex Verdugo hitting a 290 and for the Kansas City Royals, Ode Soler has just not been good this year. I mean, this is a gentleman that wound up hitting 48 home runs in 2019. He's got six so far this year, and he's hitting a buck 87 with a 288 on base. And it's not going to get the job done. Salvador Perez, he is getting the job done. How about 18 home runs? Hitting a 290 has been terrific. Carlos Santana has a 370 on base. And then you've got a lot of guys hitting in that pocket of between a 232 and a 242. Kevin Gutierrez, Michael A. Taylor, Nicky Lopez, Answer Alberto, whenever he's out there, he's hitting right around 8265 to 270, along with Whit Merrifield. Gerard Dyson has been able to hit right around a 280, and Adelberto Mondesi bagging the full for the Kansas City Royals. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game, but I think that this is a little bit too extreme. I wound up saying this all at 9.3, so I'm going to wind up taking it under. And with the Red Sox, 
because of how bad Keller has been at home and how good Perez has been on the road, set them as a minus 144 favorite. I know that the Red Sox wound up losing yesterday, but this is still a team that on the road, 22 and 11 so far this year, compared to 20 and 17 at home. So that is certainly a split that I'm taking a look at. So we're going to be riding with the Red Sox on the money line, and I'm going to be taking this little under as well. 925, 926 on the bagging board. The Chicago White Sox at the road face off against Houston Astros. You've got Fran Bravaldez, who's going to be going for the Astros. Lance Lynn is going to be on the bump for the White Sox. White Sox are fighting themselves and slight underdogs here. You're going to be getting them anywhere between a plus 105 and a plus 115. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Houston, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 120 and minus 126. Eight is your total on this one. With the under, you're going to be finding that anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. You over anywhere between even and minus 115. And this is the spot in which I did wind up setting the Houston Astros as a bit of a favorite. I'm willing to lay with the Astros up to a minus 122. So taking a look at it right now, you've got barely a price that I'm willing to take. You're finding a couple minus 121s, a couple minus 122s. I take a look at Lance Landon. No doubt he's been solid, wound up getting lit up in his last start against the Tampa Bay Rays, but still, a sub-2 ERA. He has been able to come out there night in and night out, and he has been able to get the job done, but with Framber Valdez, he has been amazing as well. How about him? Buck 42 ERA. So you've got a pair of pitchers with a sub-1-6 ERA. Two home runs given up in 25 and a third innings. Walks are not necessarily too bad. Seven walks at 25 and a third innings. I like the fact that he's been able to give you right around a strikeout per inning as well. And then the Houston Astros just back him up with a little bit of better lineup. With the White Sox, they do wind up getting back Yoel Moncada from illness, but Nick Madrigal is going to be out for the year. You've got Tim Anderson hitting right around a 300. Brian Goodwin has been able to ride around a 260 for this team. Jose Abadeu, 52 RBI. But this is a White Sox team that they're in the bottom down with regards to home runs. This is also a team that they do a good job of being able to hit lefties. I believe that they're something like 28-4 and four in their last 32 games against lefties, but typically they don't have to go toe-to-toe with a lineup that is like the Houston Astros is. Now, Alex Bregman is currently on the injured list, but good news is you saw Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Yoli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, and Carlos Correa. All guys hitting at least a 290. All guys with at least a 350 on base. And really, other than Michael Bradley, all guys are probably going to hit for north of 20 home runs so far this year with Altuve currently having 16 of them. It's absolutely amazing. You then have Miles Strauss hitting a 250 for this team. Abraham Toro's not necessarily done a lot, but small sample size there. With the Houston Astros, they don't necessarily have the bullpen of the White Sox, but with the White Sox, Matt Foster's not necessarily been himself this year. Evan Marshall has been up and down. Aaron Bummer has given up a couple runs. And for Ryan Presley, he's been good on the bullpen for this team. You've We've also got another guy that I like in Ryan Sanic. He's been able to hold down the fort recently as well. I take a look at this Astros team. I think that they're going to be able to get seven strong out of Framber Valdez. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game as well. I think that the Astros are going to need to grind this one out. So I'm going to be taking the under set this all at 7.3. But set the Astros as a minus 122 favorite. Barely seeing a price I'm willing to take. So we're going to be taking the Astros along with this little under. 927-928 on the betting board. You've got the Detroit Tigres. And they're going to be on the road facing off against the LA Angels. Patrick Sandoval is going to be going for the LA Angels. I can't believe I'm saying this name as a starter, but Willie Peralta is going to be on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers predictably are an underdog in this spot. Anywhere between a plus 170 and a plus 175. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Angels, anywhere between a minus 188 and minus $2, your total on this game is 9.5. Seeing a straight 9 out there as well. If you want to go over on 9, that's minus 130. The under is plus 110 on the 9.5. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 110. Willie Peralta has not given up a run so far this year in one and a third innings. 
Whoop-de-stinkin'-do. This is a man that has not made a start in quite a while. I believe that you have to go back to the 2019 season, and he was mostly coming out of the bullpen during the 2019 season. I mean, it's just not good what we're seeing out of Willie Peralta. Throughout his career, it just has been very interesting, to say the least. This is a man that he's given up for his career right around 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings. He gives up nearly four walks per nine. He doesn't necessarily give you a lot of strikeouts, and he's backed up by a bad bullpen. Now, I will say Brian Garcia has actually been halfway decent out of the Tigers' bullpen, and you've been able to get a little bit of something out of a couple other guys as well. Buck Farmer has not necessarily been too terrible recently, but Joey Menes has right around an 8 this year, and for the Angels, well, we know about this bullpen. Tony Watson, a couple days ago, gave up six runs without recording it out of the bullpen. Mike Myers, he looks like more of the funny guy, Mike Myers, rather than a pitcher. He has not necessarily been doing a terrific job there. Alex Claudio, not necessarily great, but with Patrick Sandoval, he was finally able to get a win. He had been, I believe it was 1-11 in career appearances slash decisions prior to his start a couple days ago. But with Sandoval, he has been able to do a little bit better job this year. 3.51 ERA, and he's backed up by by far the better lineup. When you take a look at this LA Angels lineup, you got a lot of guys that are able to supply the boom. Joey O'Donnell, Jared Walsh, Justin Upton. All guys with at least 14 home runs heading into their game on Friday. And in the case of Otani, 270 batting average, double-digit amount of steals, 19 bombs for Justin Upton. Right around a 330-ish on base. Jared Walsh is hitting a 280 for this team. Max says he is back in the fold. He's hitting a 320. David Fletcher has been out of the fold recently, but Jose Iglesias hitting a 275. And I will say this for the Tigers. Jonathan Scope has really been able to do a good job for this team. He, along with Jamir Candelario, hitting between a 270 and a 275, Arrow Castro, he has been in and out of the fold, but he's been able to get on base as well. But for Scope, about 12 home runs so far this year. So he's been able to give you a little bit of something. Robbie Grossman is someone with an on-base percentage that's hovering right around 360. Akil Badu has really been able to turn on recently. He had a very hot start. He then wound up slumping a little bit. And ever since really the beginning of the month of June, he's been able to tear the cover off the ball going into yesterday, hitting a 344 in the month. So that's solid. But then you've got Nico Goodrow and Willie Castro. No Mazzara, Miguel Cabrera. So many guys hitting at 220 or lower for this team. So it certainly does hurt you. I just have absolutely no faith whatsoever in Willie Peralta. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. I have no idea what we're going to expect. I could very well see a two-inning start in which he gives up like seven runs. I think that it could be that bad. I take a look at the Angels, and I'm going to be eyeing that run line. Right now with the Angels' run line, I was willing to lay up to about a minus 111. We're finding it at minus 105, so you know what? That's a take there. Also set the solo at 10.2, so we're going to be going over along with the Angels' run line. 929-930 on the bang board. The Tampa Bay Rays hit the road face off against the Seattle Mariners. Logan Gilbert is going to be going for the Mariners. Josh Fleming is going to be on the bump for the Rays. Rays are finding themselves as favorites anywhere between minus 124 and minus 130. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at your plus price with the Mariners, that is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 116. Total on this game is 8 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And for Josh Fleming, he has been able to do a better job whenever an opener winds up coming in from. But by and large, he has been a very okay pitcher. Nothing great, nothing awful. 320 ERA, giving up about a home run per nine innings. He's been able to limit the walks, right around 2.1 walks per nine innings. And then you take a look at Logan Gilbert. He had a couple rough starts to begin the year, but he has really been able to rein it in. Two runs or fewer given up in each out of his last four starts, and the Mariners have actually won each out of his last four starts, three of which were on the road. He has given up one home run in his last five starts, so he's actually a prospect that is starting to pan out for the Seattle Mariners. I give him credit. Now, the bad news is the Mariners back him up with a significantly worse bullpen than the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be able to back up Fleming with. When you've got J.P. Fireisen, Pete Fairbanks, Diego Castillo, Andrew Kittrich, the list goes on and on. That's tough to be able to 
compete with. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. Will Vest and Kendall Graveman went on the injured list. Since they've come off of it, they have not been the same pitchers. Anthony Machevich is a guy with an ERA that's hovering right around a 5-ish. You've got Rafael Montero, who has not been reliable for the team all season long. And then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. You've just got so many guys in this lineup that are inning below at 220. It's absolutely amazing. You take a look at the lineup that they trotted out there yesterday. Jake Bowers, Kyle Seeger, Dylan Moore, along with Lewis Torrance and Taylor Trammell. All inning at 221 or lower for this team. And then you've got Jose Mamaloes, who has been absolutely terrible for this team. You've got a couple other guys that are currently injured. Heck, it was so bad for Jared Kellenick that he's been sent back down to the minor leagues. J.P. Crawford is inning at 280 for this team. Mitch Anniger is back in full. That's big because he's been able to give the team 16 home runs. Really, other than Kyle Seager, you've got nobody else. That's getting consistent playing time. That's hitting more than six home runs for this team. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. Betting averages are not necessarily going to jump out at you, but guys like Francisco Mejia, who are hitting at 240. They've got on-base percentages that are much better. I mean, it's really interesting to take a look at Taylor Walls. Going into yesterday, 229 batting average, but his on-base was more around a 350. Randy Orozarena. This guy has gotten hotter than lava. We remember the postseason that he wound up having last year. How about what he's been able to do recently? Three home runs in his last six games going into yesterday. He has been able to hit right around a 290 in the month of June. It's been nice to see Mark Brasso, Brandon Lau. These guys need to pick it up with their batting average, but for Lau, 12 home runs. Mike Zanino has been able to take deep as well. I take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. I do think that they're going to be able to back up Josh Fleming a little bit better. And I do think that Logan Gilbert is still going to be able to give you a solid start. I just don't have any faith that the Mariners are going to be able to supply for him. I think that the bullpen could wind up letting them down. Set this all at 8.7, so I'm going to be taking it over. And I'm going to be taking the Rays on the money line. And wrap things up with 931, 932 on the bang board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing against the Cleveland Indians. Cal Quantrill is going to be going for the Windians. Meanwhile, William Crow is going to be going for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 9. Over and under, both between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Cleveland Indians, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 131 and minus 136. Plus price here with the Buckos, anywhere between plus 115 and plus 125. Hard to have any faith in the Pittsburgh Pirates right now. I set them as north of a plus 150 underdog because you take a look at William Crow. Actually gave the team a couple good starts to begin the year. It has went very sour from ever since. Three plus runs given up in four out of his last five starts. The team is one and four in his last five starts. And you take a look at William Crow. He has given up, I believe now, six home runs in his last five starts. And the walks for him have not necessarily been too terrific. He's given up four and a half walks per nine innings. And then you take a look at Cal Quantrill. Certainly his first couple starts were not necessarily too terrific for the Cleveland Indians, but he was able to do a good job in relief. And in two out of his last three starts, he has now given up one run or fewer. He's been used sort of as a pseudo opener. You expect him to go three, maybe four innings, and the Indians do back him up with a very good bullpen. Now, they're Bullpen wound up getting a little bit tags yesterday because they wound up getting off to a shaky start, but James Karinczak has been absolutely amazing for this team. you got Nick Sandlin, who's got right around a two-ish ERA. Brian Shaw has been sawed. Nick Wickram wound up getting off to a very shaky start this year, to say the least, but you take a look at what he's been able to do recently. He's really been able to string it together since the end of May, and then you've got Kyle Nelson, who's able to give you a couple innings as well. I think that he's going to be able to put it together after he wound up having a rough start. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, if you're looking for a redeeming quality for this team, it is the fact that you've got quite a few guys who are able to come out of the bullpen and are able to do a solid job. Jason Shreve, Chris Schrein, I like these guys. Wayne Underwood Jr. is able to give you multiple innings. Kyle Crick has been good. Richard Rodriguez is a guy that right now has an ERA that is right around a 170, so he's been able to do a great job. And for Pittsburgh, you do have a couple guys who are able to get on base for you. At the 
picked up the full Brian Reynolds as an on-base percentage that is hovering in the realm of about a 400. Adam Frazier, 325 batting average, 390 on-base. Cabrian Hayes has been solid. Kyle Moran is able to hit a 290. He's got some pop in the back. But for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who's going to be able to belt out those home runs? And for two, bottom of the lineup. Ben Gamble, Kaye Tom, Kevin Newman, Gregory Palanco, Eric Gonzalez, all these guys are hanging at 225 or lower, and then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians. All of a sudden, you've got guys who are able to get on base for this team. Bradley Zimmer is hitting above a 265. You've got Bobby Bradley hitting well north of a 300. He has been very hot in a small sample size. The Ramirez's, Jose and Harold Ramirez, have been solid with Jose Ramirez being able to hit right around a 270 with a 350 on base, 16 home runs. You've got Cesar Hernandez, who's able to give you a little bit of pop in the bat, and Amid Rosario hitting a 285. So in this spot, wound up saying the Indians as a little bit north of a 250 favorite. And then when you take a look at this total, I do think that it's intriguing because the Pittsburgh Pirates are pretty much dead last in the league and home runs along with runs in total. But I did wind up saying this total 8.4 because the Indians are getting a little bit hot. So we're going to be taking a look at this under along with the Cleveland Indians on the money line. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Saturday. A big thanks to our good buddy over there with Fangraphs, Dan Zaborski, for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You've got one or two ways to be able to questions if you have them for this podcast. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Always love to be able to come at you guys. I will be doing so every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.